Welcome to the Rebel Core Content Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. I'm Anand Swami Nathan. And I'm Jenny Beckesme. Swami, you mentioned a case to me you wanted to get into this week, right? Yeah, you know, the last week or so, I've had a couple of patients who have presented from long-term nursing facilities with tracheostomies, and there are some challenges that we ran into with these that I thought we could probably address here, and maybe people can learn from what we had to learn on the site, on the, uh, on the job, rather, with these patients. So let's start with what a trach actually is. A tracheostomy is a permanent or semi-permanent airway that's placed below the glottis. It's created by making a passage from the skin at the level between the third and fourth tracheal rings into the trachea. In general, they're performed for four major reasons. To bypass glottic or supraglottic stenosis or obstruction, for tracheal toilet, to provide a more comfortable airway in patients requiring prolonged ventilation, and to protect from aspiration. Yeah, and Jenny, before anyone comes back with like a angry thing about our definition of a trach, they can be placed lower or higher, but most of the time between the third and fourth tracheal rings. That's the most common place you're going to see them. A key point in managing any complication of trachs is that the tract becomes mature in about seven to 10 days. So that means that if the patient is more than seven days out, you can actually replace the trach and that can be done safely. There are common long-term complications. And again, long-term are really talking about anything that occurs after seven days. And that includes things like tracheal stenosis, tracheoesophageal fistula, bleeding that's either from erosion of the local tissue or from the dreaded tracheoanominate fistula, and dislodgement and obstruction. Obstruction and dislodgement are the common complications we see in the emergency department. Dislodgement is pretty straightforward to diagnose, but obstruction can be a little more difficult to recognize. Typically, these patients are going to be hypoxic and they're going to have labored breathing. Let's tackle these one at a time. If the trach is dislodged and the stoma is more than seven days old, you can simply replace the trach. In general, we want to know the size of the patient's current trach so we can decide what size to put in. To replace the trach, take your new trach and load the obturator. Apply some lubrication to the trach, and then you want the trach to enter the stoma at a 90-degree angle. As it passes through the skin, you rotate it counterclockwise so the tip is going straight down into the trachea. You could even pass a bougie in first to confirm that you're in the trachea by feeling the rings or getting holed up at the carina, and then place the trach over that. That's not always necessary, but it's something that you could do if you wanted to. Once you get that trach in, pull the obturator out and place the inner cannula. If the stoma is less than seven days old, you're at risk for creating a false passage by trying to blindly replace the trach. The best bet for replacement here is to use fiber optics to confirm you're actually in the right place. Ideally, you'd probably get ENT or your surgical colleagues to help with this, but if you've got your own fiber optic and you're skilled with it, you could probably do it on your own. Of course, there are situations where you'll have trouble replacing the trach, so we've got to have some kind of a backup plan. So either I can't replace it through the stoma that's more than seven days old, or it's a stoma that's less than seven days and I'm waiting for ENT or surgery to come. Again, if the stoma is established, you can try bagging through the stoma to reverse hypoxia. A small pediatric mask or an LMA can be placed over the stoma and then attach a BVM to that. You can also try bagging from the top and occlude the stoma with your fingers to ensure the delivered breaths goes into the lungs and not back out the stoma. If you can bag effectively, you can wait for your consultant to arrive or even probably transfer the patient to a higher level of care for replacement. If bagging doesn't work and you can't replace the stoma, you're only going to have a couple of options. Here you're going to have to try and intubate from above or you could try a crike. 
Yeah, I've never seen a crike done in these patients, but in theory, it should work. The crike membrane is going to be above the level of the trach, so you should be able to cut and then insert through that. And this might be a life-saving procedure in the patient that has that stoma that's less than seven days old. And Jenny, I know that you said it, but I think it's really important to state if that stoma is less than seven days old, we do not recommend trying to blindly place a trach through that hole. You are much more likely to create a false track. And I wouldn't even try the bougie technique. Put a bougie through that stoma that's relatively new and then try to load the trach over it because that bougie can still pass into the subcutaneous tissue. Yeah, so now let's say that the trach is still in place, but the patient's hypoxic and you've concerned you've got an obstruction. What are you going to do now? First, you're going to have to address the hypoxia. You can give supplemental oxygen via the mouth, either with a 100% non-rebreather or even provide assisted breaths with a BVM. You'll need to deflate the cuff if there is one, otherwise there's not going to be any air delivered from, from the mouth through to the lungs. Remove any speaking valves or caps. Attempt to pass a suction catheter. If it passes, the tube is patent. If not, obstruction or displacement has occurred. Remove that inner cannula then, and these can get pretty gunked up, and if you see that, you're just going to need to replace that with a fresh one. That was probably the obstruction. Suction out that outer cannula. Again, here, if you can pass that suction catheter through, the outer cannula isn't obstructed. It's not the problem. If you still can't pass the suction catheter through that outer cannula, then the whole thing's a wash and the trach is going to need to be replaced. One thing to keep in mind is that on occasion, it can be difficult to pass a trach of the same size that was previously in. In those cases, it's okay to downsize a little bit. If you don't have any trachs around for whatever reason, you can place an endotracheal tube in, but remember that most of the tube is gonna be hanging out of the stoma because you don't need that much length since you're starting at the trach site. Typically, I would go with a 6-0 cuff tube here. Finally, let's talk a bit about bleeding from the trach. Sometimes there'll be some mild bleeding from the stoma that clearly is just from some local irritation. That can be handled with pressure, maybe some silver nitrate. However, any bleeding from the trach site itself should be taken very seriously. The thing we're worried about here is the rare, life-threatening, sphincter-tightening, tracheo-anominant fistula. Basically, the trach erodes anteriorly, causing an abnormal connection between the trachea and that anominate or right subclavian artery, which passes right over the same site. These patients can very rapidly bleed out or get blood into the airway, causing impairment of gas exchange. Either way, you can very quickly end up with a dead patient. Sometimes there'll be a herald bleed. This is a small, self-resolved bleed that portends the disastrous hemorrhage. Studies show a 50% rate of herald bleed, so all bleeding really should be taken quite seriously. All of these patients should have consultation with CT surgery as they're going to need a bronchoscopy and that probably should happen in the operating room to look for that fistula and to repair it. Clearly definitive management should take place in the operating room, but while you're waiting for that to happen, the patient might open up so that herald bleed might become something a little bit more aggressive. If so, there are a couple of things that you can do to temporarily handle the situation. Number one is to overinflate the cuff and hope that that will tamponade the bleeding. That can be successful in up to 85% of cases of tracheoanominate fistula. If bleeding continues after you overinflate that balloon, you want to then secure the airway from the top with an endotracheal tube, remove the tracheostomy, insert a finger into the stoma, and then digitally compress the anominate artery anteriorly. In the meantime, you also want to think about things like correcting underlying coagulopathy and reversing anticoagulants, but the main thing is going to be supplying that anterior pressure so that the patient can then get to the operating room for some surgeon to actually fix the problem. 
So that's a quick review of the major trait complications we see in the ED. Jenny, how about some take-home points? Of course. A tracheostomy is a permanent or semi-permanent airway that's placed below the glottis. The tract is considered mature at seven days, so any blind replacement earlier than seven days is discouraged as it's quite possible to create a false tract. Second, all bleeding needs to be taken quite seriously. Even minor bleeding can actually be a herald bleed and signify that bad bleeding is on the way. Any patient with bleeding should be evaluated by surgery as they're likely going to need a bronchoscopy in the OR to look for that bleeding source. And then last, if the patient is not ventilating through the trach, either due to dislodgement or obstruction, systematically evaluate the trach. So pull each part out and suction through until you find the problem. As you do, replace what you need to replace. If that's not possible, make sure to just secure the airway from above with an ET tube if necessary. All right, we're going to drop some links in the show notes to a Life in the Fast Lane post, one from the crashing patient and also one from Core EM that gives a little bit more details of the management here. That's all for the Rebel Core Content Podcast this week. Jenny and I will be back in two weeks for another podcast. If you want to check out more from the Rebel EM team, hop on over to the site at rebelem.com and you'll see all of our posts there. If you want to check out more from Rebel Live, you can come down and see us in San Antonio from June 28th to the 30th for the Rebellion and EM Conference. This is going to be absolutely amazing. Most of the pre-cons are already sold out. There are a couple of spots available for some of them. So check that out now and hopefully we'll see you guys there.